Over the next few weeks, we are pausing uh, to look at one of the most famous Christmas decorations. Um, truly one of my favorites, as much as I love a Christmas tree and the light bulbs and things that go on, uh, the nativity scene um, is always a special decoration. A lot of you may have it at home somewhere, maybe above a mantle, maybe on a table somewhere, a coffee table. Maybe you have it up on a bookshelf somewhere above the TV. See it outside in front of churches, different locations. Uh, it's a special scene. And so we're going to continue to look at the nativity scene and, and sort of see what it has to say to us through the different characters that surround the scene. Uh, but to do that, you're going to need your Bible. We are going to be in God's Word a lot today. Not that we're not in God's Word on other Sundays, uh, but you're going to be turning a lot today. So make sure you have a Bible. If you don't, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Okay. If you were to look at the manger scene, uh, I'm going to say this. The, the, the characters don't change. There's no new character added every year, like, oh, that's it's 2015 edition of the nativity scene. Let's add so-and-so. Matter of fact, I Googled top 10 nativity scenes. I'll have to admit, I can't believe the Legos got in there in the top 10. Um, Darth Vader was standing there with the Legos, too, and I was like, that, he's not a part of the nativity scene. So uh, don't be Googling top 10 nativity scene. It just doesn't work, right? But the, the, the characters, they just never change. And here's the deal. You might have three shepherds instead of four shepherds. The numbers might change, but you're always going to have shepherds. Mary and Joseph, it's always Mary and Joseph, but they might be positioned different. One might be kneeling, one might be sitting on the hay, one might be standing. They both might be standing. They both might, they both might be sitting. Um, there's always Mary and Joseph. And animals, there's always animals, but we don't know which animals. There might be donkeys. There might be sheep. There might be a horse. There might be a cow. Those interchange as well. Every nativity scene has a little bit different as far as which animals are there, but there's always the animals, right? But if you look at the very center of the nativity scene, the very center, you have the manger. Never changes. And there's always the Messiah, the baby Jesus. Never changes, right? But as I looked, as I said, just for fun, just to see if what all these baby Jesuses look like on the different nativity scene, here's what I found. For every nativity scene I looked at, it was a different-looking baby. They don't have one mold for a baby Jesus, and it goes with every nativity scene set that goes out there. It's a different-looking Jesus. Sometimes his eyes are open, his hands are out, like, ah, bah, bah, you know, and then there's others where he's closed and smiling, and he's sleeping, and then, and then there was the Lego Jesus. That was just a white block. That didn't count, right? But every baby Jesus was different, and I was thinking about this, he can't be different because according to scripture Jesus doesn't change Hebrews says he's the same yesterday today forever right but the character the decoration did change and I thought about that when it comes to human definition or description every picture we have of Jesus every statue every doll looks different and we do that with our own opinions as well we all look at Jesus differently. If I were to ask you this morning, I'd say, okay, who is Jesus to you? What would come to your mind? See, what one person likes about Jesus is different for another person. And to some people, they look at Jesus and say, he's an incredible miracle worker. Many others say, I love how he teaches. He's an incredible teacher, right? And then others say, well, he was just this martyred activist. 
He was a prophet. Many worship him as Savior and Lord, and they sing to him just as we did. And meanwhile, there's others who won't give him a second thought. They won't open their mouth to say anything about Jesus. Many sing songs lifting his name, while others lift his name in cursing and shouting and swearing. We may often hear people say, as I said to you earlier, who is Jesus to you? So let me do a little experiment right now. If I were, you know, allowed to define the King of Kings beyond what we see him in Scripture, okay, how would you define him? Throughout the New Testament, there's a phrase we can discover, and although we may pass over it so many times as we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's the phrase that is often said. Who is this man? Who is this man? Matter of fact, if you remember the paralytic, the man who's paralyzed, couldn't walk, and his buddies, they brought him on a stretcher, and they carried him. They got to the house. The house was so full, they couldn't get him in, so they went up on the roof, and they tore open the roof and let him down. Remember that, that story? And when they let him down in, and Jesus looked at him, what did Jesus do? He didn't heal him first. He took care of his heart first. He said he forgave him of his sins. And all the religious leaders, the people in the house were like, who is this man that he forgives sin? Who is this man? When Jesus was walking on the water and he calmed the storm, what did the disciples say? Who is this man that even calms the storm? Herod, who is this man? I want to meet him. Over and over through Scripture, that phrase was used. Who is this man? Matthew chapter 16. Um, you, you go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 16. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, we have Jesus in a situation here. They were demanding miraculous signs from him, and he was teaching. They were questioning about his teaching. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? So now Jesus looks at the crowd, and his disciples are right there, and there's a few other people scattered about. And instead of they're always saying, who is this man? Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Who's the, who do they say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say prophets. Then he said, who do you say I am? I, I, know, I, I know what all these other people are saying, but I want to hear from you, disciples. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, verse 16, said this. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. So Peter declared a couple things here. First of all, he declared Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the one that for years had been prophesied was coming. He's going to save our kingdom. He's going to set up this new kingdom. We can't wait for him to show up. You're the Messiah. We've been waiting for you. But then he said a second thing. He said, you're the Son of the of the living God. Now, to be a son meant this. You qualify then to have what the Father has. You're going to be just like your dad, and you're going to inherit the Father's privileges and power. So when Peter said, you are the son of the living God, he was saying, what the Father has, what God has, you have. I'm equating you with God. That was quite a, quite a proclamation. Jesus is God. No middle ground about who he is, right? 
And we all know that Jesus can be described in endless ways. So we'll take that test right now. We each picture Jesus in a different way. So, for example, if I'm saying picture Jesus Christ in your mind right now, what image do you have? What image do you have? What's the first image that popped into your mind? What's the first image that popped into your mind? What story, what miracle, what scene from biblical times do you have of Jesus when I said picture Jesus right now? What came to your mind? I'm curious. Raise your hand. What do we have? Yeah. The resurrection. Baptism. The children at his feet. What's that? Ascending. Good. Crucifixion. Who else? Two more. Y'all pictured them, right? Okay. Two more. The what? The wedding feast. Nice. Anybody else? One more. I can be here all morning. Give me one more, church. What'd you picture? Yes. Leaning in close to you and listening. Yes. Good. You know, we're talking about the manger scene, the nativity scene. Not one of you said baby Jesus. That was amazing. I expected, because we started with that as your first image of Jesus, that that would be what I'd hear. But did you hear what happened? Christ means so, that and so much more to you. That's pretty incredible. Feeding 5,000, playing with children, eating with the disciples, walking on water, on the cross, in the manger, leaning in, ascending, resurrected. What an amazing picture that we have of Jesus. And that they're all different pictures, right? So we might have to stop for a moment and ask that question again. So who is this man? Who is this child, this baby, this infant in the center of the nativity scene, the one that we read about and the one we worship? Who is he? We know this. Jesus is the Son of God, the coming Messiah, the King of Kings, part of the Trinity, God the Son, God the Father, God and the Holy Spirit, God in the flesh. Matter of fact, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because a lot of us are like, I've never seen God. I, can't, I don't know what he looks like. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Let's do this. Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of John. So we're in Matthew. Go Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10. Move towards the back. Three more books. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, verse 27. Again, Jesus talking with his disciples. In verse 27, he says this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Listen to verse 30. Because the Father and I are what? One. John chapter 14. Turn there. Back four more chapters. John chapter 14 starting in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas speaks up and he's like, <clears throat> um, no, no, we don't know where you're going, Lord. 
Uh, we have no idea where you're going. Matter of fact, sometimes we don't even know what you're talking about. Can you show us the way? Jesus said, oh, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. Philip's like, whoa, whoa. we've seen God? But Lord, show us a Father. We'll be satisfied. Go ahead, show us. Show us. Just like, hey, hey. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know, know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you to him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus and God, the Father, are one. You know, and, and, and that he's even more. You know, we start off laying that foundation saying this is who Jesus Christ is, but he's even more. As we heard this morning in the Advent reading from Isaiah, he's also described as that light. A light from heaven promised to us. A time of darkness that we need a light. Amen? John chapter 1. So we're in John chapter 14. Go back to the very beginning of this book. I told you we're going to go through Scripture this morning. Get those fingers rolling. John chapter 1. You know, as you read through this, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's two, Matthew and Luke, that have the great story of Jesus being born and all that, but then... Mark and, and John are different. John even starts even more different with how Christ comes about. And in John chapter 1, and I've heard some people say this is my, one of my favorite readings of the Christmas story. And I've always thought, but there's no shepherds. There's no angels. There's no wise men. Yeah, this is ground truth for why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. So we read from John chapter 1, another side of the Christmas story. In the beginning, the Word, Jesus Christ, already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. We're talking again about Jesus Christ. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became flesh, became human, 
and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus is that light that shines in the darkness. And we definitely live in dark times, wouldn't you agree? What's amazing is that they felt that same darkness 2,000 years ago. As they muddled and moved and journeyed throughout their lands, they had problems. They had oppression. They had poverty. They had war. They had sin. It was a dark world, and they prayed for the Messiah, the light that would come into the world, just as we are. Only we're praying for his second coming, for his return. Haven't we seen the manger, the, the Christ of Christmas? He's truly our light, our hope, our Emmanuel, which is God with us, especially in the dark shadows of San Bernardino, right? We pray for light. New York Times reported that there were 209 mass shootings in which four or more victims took place in America this year. 209 mass shootings this year in America. And it seems like we're losing the darkness at times, doesn't it? Whenever you read the newspapers, you pick up social media, you turn on the TV, and you just, it's, I, I, I don't enjoy watching the news because it's no fun, right? Not that news is supposed to be fun. But I would like a little bit of encouragement, right? Just a little. Reported battery, burglary, threat by intimidation, intoxication, sexual assault, theft from vehicles, trespassing, vandalism. Darkness. It's darkness. Broken marriages, pornography, deceit and lies, bullying, drug addiction, just to name a few. Darkness. And we see it around us. Darkness. News is also filled with racial tension. A CNN poll shows that 91% of Americans say racism is a problem. 91% of Americans say it's an issue and it's ugly. College campuses, we hear protests, sit-ins, hunger strikes, racial labels, people resigning. Duke, Yale, Missouri, Oklahoma, even up in Michigan, Calvin College, these colleges are dealing with racial tension. Darkness. I'm going to ask you for a second to look in here, into your heart for a second. Okay? Because maybe some of you have a little bit of darkness going on. Sin that has defeated you. Sin that's destroying you. Maybe this week, last couple of days, maybe this past month, you have a friend, family member, who's been so enveloped by darkness that it's destroying them. And you're just saying, why them? What's going on? And it caused you to open up your eyes and scare you like, am I susceptible to that as well? Is there darkness that we need to take care of within us? How do we do that? What do we need? I got it. A political agenda, right? A political agenda that could come in and just reform this whole nation and, and everything, right? How about a, oh wait, we need light, right? So how about a candle lighting class? You could all show up to a candle lighting class, learn how to light candles to get rid of darkness, right? Um, 
How about seminars on how to let your light really shine bright for Jesus? That'd be great. So we can all attend seminars and lighting programs. You know, I'm being sarcastic now, right? We need just this. This is what we need. Light. We need light. The light of the world. We need Jesus Christ first. Right? And the light came just over 2,000 years ago. And that's when the angels, they lit up the skies. They told the shepherds this. The light of the world is coming. The light of the world is coming. And then he came. Jesus said in John chapter 12. Let me turn there and read this to you. John chapter 12, verses 45 and 47. He said this. For when you see me, you're seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Did you hear that? Isn't that good news? As much as things seem dark around us, as much as we can be defeated and depressed and like, really? Did you hear, Did you hear what Jesus said? I've come as a light to shine in this world. So that all who put their trust in me, guess what? You no longer have to live in darkness. I mean, I can, I can get out of the darkness? I can choose it? Yes. How? Trust Jesus. Look at verse 47. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I've come to what? I've come to save the world and not judge it. Jesus Christ has come to save the world. He's the light of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 4, verses 13 to 16, which, which you already heard from Isaiah, but in Matthew, it says this, He went to Nazareth, left there, moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah, which is quoted this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. The people who, listen, sat in darkness. The people who sat in darkness have seen a light, a great light. And those who lived in land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. A light has shined. As Jerry was reading this morning, when you look and see the Christmas lights on trees, when you think and see the stars on pictures, that light, those lights should remind us that a light has come into the world, Jesus Christ, to shine. He came as the light of the world. He, he taught. He loved. He healed. He's the Son of God. He is God who came to rescue us from darkness. As I was reading this past week, and just sometime, just do a word search, rescue, in the Bible. You see how God comes to rescue us from darkness. You know, Jesus could have come like the legends and the tales of that were created of the Greek gods. Because back in ancient history, in Greece, they had those gods they worshipped. Zeus and all those powerful gods, right? Stories were made of these Greek gods that sort of brought fear into the lives of mortals. Causing them to cower and fear like, well, if I don't live this way, this god will strike me with a lightning bolt. Or this god will hurt me and this god will come and do this. And people were fearful of the gods that they created. Instead, listen, the one and only, let me hear you say only. There's only one God. The one and only God of this world came into the world, not through a lightning bolt, not through some 
powerful, hulk-looking, majestic God came as a baby. Ooh, didn't see that coming, did we? Uh, we just don't think like that, right? We, we don't see it. We look at the nativity scene. There's the light that's going to rescue the world. It's going to shine on darkness and free us from sin. Right? It, a baby. Didn't see that coming, did we? Ponder and ask that question. Is that how you picture the answer to your needs? Is that how you picture the Savior entering the world? Light of the world, our answer, our hope, our peace in a manger, in a cloth, wrapped up. You know, I think we feel like we have to have it all figured out sometimes. And if it doesn't fit our way of thinking, then it probably can't be right. We do that with the Bible sometimes. We do that with God. Well, I don't see how that could be that way. No. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I don't think God would, and then they finish the sentence. Or maybe, well, the God I know doesn't finish the sentence. You ever heard somebody say that? Or maybe you said that? How do you know? Next time somebody says, well, I don't think God would then say, how do you know? And, and not to be rude, okay? Not to be mean, but let's be real. Our God is indescribable. Our God works beyond our understanding. His grace is a mystery, is it not? His ways are tremendous, powerful, and marvelous. Turn in your Bibles to Psalms. It's the Old Testament, middle of the Bible. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I'm going to start in verse 13. I want you to think about this, okay? As we read this, Psalm 77, verse 13, I'm going to start reading. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? Just stop and think for that, okay? Is there any God as mighty as God? No. Verse 14. You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea, listen to this, just picture this, okay? When the Red Sea saw you, if you could picture the Red Sea having eyeballs, okay? And God approaches, okay? Just listen to this verse. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared around the whirlwind. From the whirlwind, the lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook, and your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. You just picture that. It's like the Red Sea sees God approaching. And it's like, there's a road. I mean, it's just, maybe it didn't sound like that, but you know what I'm saying? Okay. But it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. And then look what the end of verse 19 says. A pathway no one knew was there. Did you, did you read that? Underline it. I did. Okay. A pathway no one knew was there. Didn't see it coming, did you? You know what? We've been pampered with the Bible since we were little kids. And pampered meaning we've heard the stories over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. They mean nothing to us now, really. They, they really don't. 
if we were to be a child again and go back and hear the story of the Red Sea for the first time, I bet our eyeballs would get big. Whoa, you mean a sea just parted? How can it happen? We not, right now as an adult, we read this, and we're like, and the Red Sea parted, they went across on dry ground. That's pretty cool. No, it's not cool. It's incredible. Unbelievable. We forgot the truth of these stories and the power of these stories. And the writer of this psalm, Asaph, says, it's a path nobody knew about. Nobody knew about it. God did. And around 1,400 years later, we didn't see it coming again. As God came as a baby in the flesh. Didn't see it coming, did you? There he is in the manger. Didn't see it coming. Oh, wait, there Jesus is walking on the water. Didn't see that coming, did you? Disciples didn't think, oh, didn't see that coming. Casting demons into a herd of pigs and they go off a cliff. Didn't see that coming, did you? Nope. Spitting into dirt, wiping mud on a man's eyes to heal the blind. Didn't see that coming, did you? Literally, you didn't see that coming because he was blind, okay? Right? Didn't see it coming. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Didn't see that coming, did we? Been in the tomb for a long time. Moved the rock away. Come on out, Lazarus. Didn't see that coming. Let's think about the ladies that went to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday to see Jesus alive. Didn't see that coming, did you? We see it coming all the time because we've memorized the stories. We've read it. But for the first time, if you heard those stories, you'd have to sit back and say, I didn't see that coming. That's, that's amazing. He's the light of the world, our hope and peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of demons, in the midst of shouting. He's peace. Maybe you need to hear that this week. Maybe life's been a little bit turbulent for you. Maybe it's been a week of darkness. Maybe you're sitting there saying, I've needed hope. I've needed peace. I've needed light and darkness. And I don't know where, it's gonna, where I'm going to find that, where it's coming from. I didn't see it coming. Let me tell you, the light of the world is here. He's come to rescue us from the dark, and then, then listen very carefully. He's come to rescue us from the dark, and then live within us. We talked about this for three or four weeks. Paracletus, right? God's spirit living right with us. You know, we get to show off the light of the world. That's pretty cool. We don't only get to point to the light of the world. There's Jesus. He's the light of the world. But guess what? We also get to show him off in how we live. Jesus came as the light of the world. He taught. He loved. He healed. He's the son of God who came to rescue us from darkness. But then we get to celebrate that light that came into this world. We also get to show off the light of this world. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Now, that's in the New Testament. Get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's one of those really small letters, those small books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 5. In chapter 5, we're going to start reading verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Imitate God. Let me hear you say imitate God. Imitate God. Now, okay, now at Thanksgiving, it was, it was fun, we were sitting at my brother's house, and we, after we'd eaten, we'd sort of moved away from the table, sat down in the living room, on the couch. That's what you do on Thanksgiving, right? Had a cup of coffee, sort of relaxing. 
sat down, put my leg up. Colin comes in, comes down, sits next to me, has a cup of coffee. I'm going, which is, I'm going, you've never had a cup of coffee in your life. So I'm sort of looking like, Colin, just changing you a little, okay? Sits down next to me with a cup of coffee, crosses his leg, looks at me, and I'm thinking, what up? And he's like, and then I sort of scratch my ear, and he's like, scratches his ear. And then it hit me. He was doing the old mimic game. And uh, I put my coffee down. He puts his coffee down. Oh, I see where we're going with this one. So, of course, we start playing with it a little bit. But my boys do that often with me, all three of them. It's like father like son, and they goof around on the mimic thing. But then I was sitting there thinking, as I was reading this, I stopped imitate God. I was like, whoa, wait a second. Wait, imitate, what does that look like? They said, it looks just like father and son. Me and my boys. Whatever dad was going to do, they're going to do. Which is scary, isn't it? Because when we do the bad things, you hope and pray they don't do what you just did, right? Don't imitate me there, right? But Paul says, this is, that's what I want you to do. I want you to imitate God. I want you to look what God's doing right now. And how we see what God's doing. Well, we looked at what Jesus was doing. And then we imitate that. So let's read on. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Why? Because you're his dear children. Ah, that's what we're talking about, right? The father, son, right? Okay. You're his dear children. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Okay, do you ever, like, go to grab something, and they're like, no, those are not for you. Mm. you ever been? Have you ever been in the kitchen and you go to sneak that cookie or something and your wife or somebody's like, not yet, not, not for you. Those are not for you. What do you mean they're not for me? They're for the neighbors. What do you mean you're making cookies for the neighbors but you don't make them for me, right? Okay, do you ever have that? So just sort of picture that as you're reading this, okay? It's like, let's read that again, okay? Where are we at? Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. Hey, I got a good one for you. Ow, what? Not for you. Oh, sorry. Everybody get that? Okay. So next time you feel like, oh, I've got a really good, no, Christians, those are not for you. They're not for me. Okay. Just slap your hand. Okay. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Verse five, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. We always have an excuse for our sins, don't we? For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Verse 7, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were, past tense, full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Oh, remember that? When we talk about light, the light has come into the world, Jesus Christ. But remember, when Jesus Christ ascended, he gave us his spirit. Guess what? He now gives us that light we once were full of darkness. Now we have that light from the Lord. Look at what else it says. So live as what? People of light. Verse 9. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus also said this. You are the light of the world. The city on a hilltop. It can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Jesus is telling his disciples this. 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. Think about this. Your light goes out. The power's out. You go grab a candle. You go light the candle, and then you stick a bowl over top of it and walk around the house with a bowl over top of the candle you just lit. That's ridiculous, right? When you light a candle, you pull it out to what? Expose the darkness to create light so you can see where you're going. And God said, well, you are dark earth right now. So I'm sending myself, the light of the world, into this world to create light, to give light, to rescue you. Oh, and by the way, when Jesus Christ comes back out as he resurrects, I'm giving you my spirit. And when I give you my spirit, that is my light now living within you so that you can continue to light up a dark world because this dark world needs Christians to get bright. Amen? So let's let God start shining through us. And not that we pat ourselves on the back like, way to go, True North, way to go, Christians. Hey, Operation Christmas Child, a couple hundred boxes, way to go. That's not why we do that. We share those stories of celebration because that's God working through us. That's light shining. That's okay. Let's talk about the light shining. Let's bring the candles up in front. Hey, look what God's doing through my life. Not that we get the glory, but who gets the glory? God. He gets all the glory. But see, if we keep it to ourselves, what God's doing in our lives and what we're doing for God, God never gets praised. And I know some of us are very humble and we're like, well, I don't want to go around talking about all the stuff that I'm doing for Jesus. I know you don't. That's, that's fine. But every now and then, share it with other Christians. Because when you do that, that's encouragement. You are letting that light shine and you're giving God the praise for it and all the glory. Psalm 78, 3 to 7. Let me read this for you. Stories we've heard and known, stories our ancestors that have handed down, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, his mighty wonders, for he issued the law to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors, teach them to your children. So the next generation might what? Might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their children. So every generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Generation to generation, we must tell our children and our children's children and so forth and so on what God's doing, what he's done in his word, and what he is still doing. We have to tell those stories. We need to be that light. We need to be that light. So here's Jesus in the nativity scene. God in the flesh, light of the world. Come to expose darkness and get rid of darkness. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he allows us to share in shining his light to the world. But here's the thing we gotta remember, okay? He's the center of the nativity scene. He's the center of the nativity scene. How do we treat the one who deserves all the applause? How do we do that? Nobody else deserves the applause. Because you could take the shepherds out of the scene. You could take the wise men out of the scene. You could take the angels out. You could take the animals out. You could even take Mary and Joseph out. And it was just Jesus in the manger. It's all we need. All the applause goes to him. So I was thinking about this. How do I give Jesus all the attention that he deserves? How do I give him all the applause that he deserves? How do I give him all the glory that he deserves this Christmas? And I was thinking about how I've raised my kids. 
And I thought about all the things that we've bought them for Christmas, for birthdays. Thought about all the parties. Thought about where we go out to eat. Thought about where we travel for our, our children, the endless taxi driving that we do. You know, what activities will I not miss for my children? That I'm going to go everywhere for my kids, right? Sacrifices that we make, the money we spend for my children. Now, I was thinking about this, okay? I was just driving. This is just God talking to me. This isn't God talking to you all, okay? This is God talking to me. And I was thinking this through. I shared this with Dave earlier this week. I said, I, I sort of struggle with it because I'm, I'm asking myself, what if I treated Jesus the same way I treated my children? That was, that was what he was laying on my heart. What if I spend on Jesus what I spend on my kids? So I go through all the things I'm going to spend money on my kids this year. What if I added all that up and said, I'm giving that same to Jesus? What if I thought about all the miles that I've driven for my kids and I said, I'll go the same distance for Jesus? What about all the activities that I'm willing to attend, the time I'm willing to volunteer at teaching at their school or um, coaching their team or helping them here or there for my children? What if I took all that volunteer time, the same volunteer time that I'd give to my kids, I would give to Jesus and volunteer for him? What if I took pictures, the way I post things on social media about my kids, about my family? What if I took the same amount of time that I posted about all my family and my kids and I posted the same thing about Jesus? What if I am treating all the other things in my life like a God more than God himself? That's what hit me this week. Because I was sitting here thinking, okay, Jesus is the center of the nativity scene. He deserves all the applause. The question is, are we really giving him all the applause? Or is he just a figurine that we recognize as being important? Jesus is the center of the nativity scene. Not me. Not my children. Not my spouse. Not my friends. Not my job not my sport, not my skills. Jesus has to be the center of the nativity scene. Jesus has to be the center of my life. He's the light of the world. And the only reason I shine is because I'm shining for him. He gets the glory, his special banquet, his awards banquet, his day. Let him shine as he deserves, right? So as we go throughout this week and you look at the nativity scene, just look at the manger. Look at Jesus and say, am I giving him all the applause he deserves? He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's the light that comes into a dark world. Think about the darkness in our world right now. What do they need? Jesus. And as a Christian, he's living in me. So I can shine into this dark world for him right now until he returns. It's my role. That's my role in this nativity scene. I'm going to shine for him, but I'm going to make sure that everything points back to that manger where he is. Amen? Would you please stand with me? You know, I, I don't, I can't tell you how to listen to God's word and go do something. That's between you and God. What God shared with me causes me now, you know, when I wake up, okay, I, I think this true. Am I treating him as he deserves as the center of the nativity scene? And so I've got to 
move in obedience to what God says in my heart. The question is, what is he telling you this morning? I don't think he always says the same thing to me that he's going to say to you. He's going to probably tell you something different in how you respond to his word. But in darkness, we know this, the light of the world has arrived. So let's celebrate the light. Let's celebrate the light. Christmas, and I know there's a lot of bad memories for some of us that may be at Christmas time, but the truth is, when you look at the lights, we get to celebrate the light of the world coming. That's the greatest thing we get to celebrate. So let's celebrate it. Let's live in a way that then shines his light. Be obedient. But to do that, we need to be right with God, right? We need to be right with God. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth, passion and plan, but a birth that comes from God. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't want to take for granted that everybody in this room knows and has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want to take that for granted. So this morning with all heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here this morning, it's like, you know, gone to church a lot, hear the Christmas story all the time, heard a lot of these stories, but I've never really fully believed, I've never personally confessed with my mouth, I've never fully believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Then this morning I invite you to make that confession. The darkness that's in our hearts, the sin that surrounds us is overwhelming and we can't defeat it by just doing good things. We can't get right with God by being good one day and bad the next. That's why he came and died on the cross pay that price, that sacrifice that we can't do. So this morning, where you're standing, if you've never asked for forgiveness and asked the God of this universe to forgive you, you've never thanked Him, you've never placed your faith in Him, this will be an incredible time to do it. The light of the world has come. The light of the world has come into this place darkness to free us, to give us direction and hope and peace. Will you accept that gift? So just pray right now where you're at. Ask for forgiveness. Ask Him to cleanse you from the sins and mistakes you've made and thank Him because He is a God who forgives. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life to help you with all decisions that you make. If you're a believer in here this morning, you've already confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ, Lord, then ask Him this morning to help you be a greater light for Him, to shine where you need to shine more. Maybe you need to ask God this morning, God, I've not really been looking at you as the center of the nativity scene. I need to put you back in the middle of the center of my life. Whatever it is you need to confess this morning, confess that to Him, pray to Him. He's listening. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you that we've had this time this morning where we can come here and we can worship. We can sing to you because it's Christmas. Oh, we've got birthdays in here. It's special days. Love birthdays. Love candles. Love cakes. Love celebrations. We love going to ball games. We love going to concerts. All special moments. Anniversaries. Those are great celebrations, but Christmas, we get to celebrate the coming of you, 
to this planet, light of the world, to free us, to rescue us from sin and darkness. And it all began in a manger. Didn't see that coming. Thank you, God. So God, we're just going to sing to you because we love you and we want to thank you. We're going to worship you because today's for you.